So good to be back with you guys. I've had a few weeks off preaching, but it's so good to see all your beautiful faces. As we wrap up today, our last week of our viral series. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever, has anyone in this room ever felt misunderstood at any time in their life? Okay, you know what it's like. You're, you're saying something or you're telling someone something and then they completely miss the point. And you look at them and you say, that's not what I mean at all, right? Does that happen to you? Or, or, or maybe you find yourself at opposite sides of the room and you're like shouting at someone and the veins are popping in your neck and you're like, you're not listening to me or you're not understanding me. Please tell me I'm not the only one that's happened to. Anyone else, right? Uh, or maybe all you wives, maybe your husband's been telling a story to someone and you look at your husband and say, that isn't what happened. My wife does that to me, by the way, all the time. She says I color in the stories just a little too much, right? We know what it's like to be misunderstood. I'm sure it's a common human experience. But what I'll tell you is that if you've been misunderstood before, you will know it is super frustrating. Like it's not a pleasant thing, right? It kind of like when you're misunderstood, it kind of makes your blood boil. It's like such an uncomfortable thing to happen to you. But here's what I want to say, guys. I truly believe that when it comes to our relationship with God, that there are many things we just simply misunderstand. Like I, I think there are stories and messages and parables in this good book that often we read and we miss the point entirely. I, I think sometimes God, <laughs> like in his love and patience, I'm sure sometimes he's looking at us and he must be face blowing himself and being like, guys, that's not what I meant. Like, oh, okay. Guys, you're missing the point completely. And when I read scripture, I think out of all of scripture, that one of the pieces of scripture that I just see consistently misrepresented and misunderstood is a parable that Jesus told, a famous parable. And it's a parable of the prodigal son. Now, most likely you've been a Christian for any length of time. You've heard that parable before. Is anyone familiar with that parable of the prodigal son? And we're told it's about something, like one thing. We're told it's about this kid who goes to his dad and says, Dad, can I please have my inheritance? Even though you haven't died yet, right? Like, and the father somehow obliges and, and does it. And then this guy, he leaves home. And he says he goes and squanders his wealth on reckless living. And then at some point, there's a famine in the land. He's bankrupt. He's lost everything. And he's so desperate, he's looking after pigs, which as a Jewish person was a no-no, and he gets so hungry, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. And then it says he, he realizes, man, I'm in a bad place. Even my father's servants are treated better than this. So he runs back home and says, I want to be your servant. And he bumps into his dad, who is meeting him down the road and embraces him. And instead of making him a servant, he celebrates his return. He puts a robe on him and a ring on him and sandals on him. And he says, welcome home. And they throw a party. We're told that the point of this parable is that God welcomes us home. That no matter how far you've gone from him, you can always come back. But what if I told you today, church, I don't think that that is the main point of this parable. You know, I've heard hundreds of sermons on this parable. And I think so often when you read what was really going on there, I think many of us, we've missed the point. We've misunderstood what Jesus was trying to tell us. And I think it's so good to get clarity on this because what Jesus is trying to tell us is super important. 
What he's actually trying to teach us in that parable is something we can't afford to misunderstand. So let's kind of set the setting and let's try and understand what is going on in the setting. What is going on here in Luke 15? I mean, why, why did Jesus even tell the parable of the prodigal son? We, we're going to find Jesus in Luke 15, and if you have your Bibles, you can join me, but we're going to read from verse 1. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Okay, so let me set the scene. Here, here's Jesus, right? And he, he's surrounded by sinners and tax collectors. Like, you know, some of the religious people would have called them the scum. Like, he's just got all these people around him. And the religious people are watching Jesus hang out with sinners, and they're not happy. They're like... They're like, why is he hanging out with them? Do you, do you know that religious people still get uncomfortable about that very same thing today? They'll say like, you shouldn't associate with those people. You shouldn't be seen with those people. And yet the most righteous man who ever lived on the face of the earth constantly associated himself with the unrighteous, the sinners, the tax collectors. In fact, let me remind you, New Life Church, that if Jesus Christ was in town physically this week, he probably wouldn't be hanging out with us too much. We'll probably find him, I don't know, at News Cafe on Friday night, at Sepals on Saturday night. Right, we'll, we'll probably find him visiting the Shabins. We'll probably find him walking the streets and, and he'll probably be in Plumer Street for a little while. Right? If Jesus Christ was in town this week, he probably wouldn't be with us too much. And so this made the religious people really upset. And so it's off this foundation. Jesus is about to tell a story to explain to them why he constantly hangs out with the sinners. To explain to the righteous people. Now, Jesus actually launches not into one story, but three. He tells a trilogy. You know what a trilogy is? It's the same story, but told over three separate stories. Think of like, I don't know. Lord of the Rings and The Hunger Games and, I don't know, Maze Runner, uh, Matrix, right? The Spider-Man, the coming Avatar movies. I don't know, there's trilogies everywhere nowadays. It's the same story told over three separate stories and it carries some themes and it carries some characters. Jesus actually tells a trilogy and he's telling this trilogy to explain to these religious, righteous people why he's hanging out with these sinners. So let's look at why Jesus is doing this and the three stories that he launches into, starting in verse 3. It says this, So he told them this parable. Right, they, they were angry that he's with these sinners, so he told them this parable. He says, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, Jesus says, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven of a one sinner who repents than of a 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Wow. 
Jesus starts with a story of the shepherd who leaves the comfort of the 99 to go look for the one. And he starts to teach us something, church. He teaches us that the one is worth the journey. One is worth the journey. Look at someone and say, one is worth the journey. And I think this is great news because we all know at least one. We all know one, right? We all know one who who needs the love of God in their lives. We all know one who needs Christian community. We all know one who is down and out and desperate or sick. We all need one who needs activity of Jesus Christ in their lives. We all know one. And Jesus teaches us in the parable, one is worth it. It's worth the journey. It's worth the effort. Not only do we find out that one is worth the effort, but the second thing we pick up from that parable is that heaven celebrates when what was lost is now found. Heaven celebrates our church as as happy as heaven is that we gathered together, we sung praise and we gave offering and it became the sweet smelling fragrance in heaven. As happy as heaven is about that, heaven would celebrate more today if one got found than over the 99 that gathered together. Heaven celebrates, we start to see the, the heart of heaven It celebrates when lost things become found. That's the first part of this trilogy that Jesus launches to answer the question to these righteous people and makes me kind of want to ask you a question. Who would be your one? Like if one is worth the effort, who who is it? Who's it in your life? Like when you leave the comfort of the 99 and now you're the only Christian in the office. Now you're the only Christian in the lecture hall. Now you're the only Christian at the bar. Now you're the only Christian at the dining room table. Who's the one? Who's the one? Are you you willing? Do you believe the one is worth the journey, worth the effort? Who's the one? So that was the first part of the trilogy trilogy that Jesus shared. And then he goes into the second part of the trilogy we read from verse 8. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. And just so I tell you, Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus, he's driving home some points with these stories. And now we start to see that when something valuable is lost, you make the effort to find it. When something valuable is lost, you find it. You go looking for it. I mean, and we know this. How many of you ever have ever lost your house keys or your car keys? Anyone here? Did any of you just go, oh, well, just leave it lost? No, it has, those keys are valuable, right? And so we see when we're looking for the keys, we look like this woman looked with these 10 silver coins that she lost, right? We're willing to like put the lights on and, and sweep the house. And it says she diligently is looking for it. We, we're willing to move our lives around. We're willing to inconvenience ourselves. We, we're willing to put the time in and the effort in because... Something valuable has gone missing, and we have to find it. 
But when we don't believe it's valuable, how many of you know we don't look? Those of you who look for your house keys or your car keys diligently, did you put the same effort the last time you lost five cents? No. Why? It's not really valuable. It's not worth my time. Jesus is teaching us that when we believe something is valuable, we put in the time and the effort to look for it. And then he drives home the second point, much like in the first story, this point about celebration. But now we learn it's not just heaven that celebrates. Jesus gets specific. And he wants you to know it is the angels. It says heaven celebrates, but there is a celebration also amongst the angels of heaven. When one sinner repents, there is a celebration amongst the angels before God. If you want to bring celebration and joy to the heart of the angels, find that which is lost. So let me recap for you what's happening. Jesus, sitting with the sinners, religious people, really unhappy that he's doing that. So Jesus launches a trilogy, and we start to see that one is worth the effort. We start to see that if something valuable is lost, you make the effort to find it. We start to see that heaven celebrates and the angels celebrate when what is lost was found. And it's off this foundation church that Jesus goes into the third part of the trilogy, the parable of the prodigal son. It's of this setting that he starts to tell us one last piece of the puzzle, one last part of the story. And it goes like this. Jesus says in verse 11, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. Can everyone say two sons? The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, oh, how many of my father's hired servants had, have, had more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. So I will rise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he came and arose back to his father. Now church, I want to pause the story there because in the context of what's just happened, this story is suddenly very different. For the very first time in the trilogy, something went missing and no one went to find it. For the very first time in Luke 15, something is lost and there's no one looking for it. Let's pick it up in verse 20. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly my best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Sound familiar? 
We've got this theme again from the first two parts of this trilogy. We see that Jesus wants you to know, not only does heaven celebrate, not only do the angels celebrate, but he's getting more specific again. He says, the father celebrates when what was lost is found. The father, our father celebrates when what was lost is found. And church, this is very often where we stop telling the parable. But there's far more to the story. Jesus didn't stop telling the story yet. In fact, he hasn't even gotten to his point yet. There's still more of the story to tell. So Jesus goes on with this parable of the prodigal son. He says in verse 25, now his oldest son, everyone say oldest son. His oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Have you ever not been invited to the party? It sucks, right? We kind of know what this feels like. You imagine this older brother coming in from a hard day's work. And he's like, why is there a party in the house? Like, why didn't anyone tell me what's going on? Why is there a celebration? And Jesus starts to shift his focus off the younger brother that returned. And he starts to talk about the older brother who stayed behind. If this parable was just about the younger brother who returned, how many of you know there wouldn't need to be two sons in the story? It would just have to be about one. But there's this older brother that Jesus shifts the focus to. In fact, I would argue, church, that a better title for this parable would be the parable of the older brother. Where was the older brother, by the way? He's in the field. He was doing the work of the father. I mean, on the outside, by the way, he would have looked like the good kid, ticking all the boxes, doing all the right things. There he is working for the father. Do you know that you can work for the father and miss the will of the father? <laughs> this older brother had completely missed the heart of his dad. And I think sitting here at this point of the story, as Jesus is telling the parable, and as he starts to shift the focus to the older brother, I think all those religious people must have felt like a bullet went between their eyes because those Jewish leaders would have known this. In the Jewish custom, if a younger child went wayward, if they went away, it would be the responsibility of the oldest child to go and find them. So they've just heard that the older brother did not fulfill his responsibility to go and look for what is found. Instead, he's found working in the field. I mean, he's a faithful one, right? But is he looking for his brother? No, he's too busy. Oh man, busyness. I think the, the devil loves to throw busyness in our lives, right? Because we get so busy with the deadlines and the emails and the work and they have to and I must do this that we forget that we are surrounded by the lost. We don't even see it anymore. We get blinded by our busyness just like this older brother. And we don't see the loss that's in our classroom, the loss that's in our office, the loss that's in our home, the loss that's part of our family. We don't see it because of busyness. We so often end up just like this older brother and we forget that everyone we see is living in the danger zone. Do you know that? 
They're just one incident, one decision away from dying. Every single person you look at one day will die. And we, we, we can lose because of the busyness. We lose the urgency for the lost around us. Just like this older brother. We forget sometimes that it just takes one conversation to change an eternity. Here's what I want to ask you, church. What do you think the father would have wanted more? For his son to be plowing the field or to be finding his younger brother? Do you think the father would have wanted more for his son to be working at hard in the field or to be going out and looking for the brother that was lost? And suddenly when you compare it to the two parables before it, there's this vast difference because no one went to look. And we, get, we start to pick up the heart that the older brother didn't see his younger brother as valuable because if he did, he would have looked just like the woman with her coins. He didn't see his younger brother of any value, so he didn't, he didn't inconvenience himself to go look. And it must have been such a shock for these religious people to hear this because we've just heard of a shepherd who thought a sheep was valuable and a woman who thought some coins were valuable, but now a brother doesn't see his brother as having any value. Not enough to go look for him at least. The second reason, I think he was working in the field instead of looking for his brother is that he didn't get the heart of his father at all. He missed the heart of his dad. Trish, you know that we can do the same? We can be so, so focused on our work in the field. Oh, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this, I'm doing this for the Father. Right? I'm just, I want to tick all the boxes. And like none of these are bad things, but a but whole faith becomes, okay, I'm going to get online. I'm going to obey. I'm, I'm going uh, to pray every day. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm, uh, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to go on that course. I'm going to be faithful to my church. I'm, I'm going to give to God. I'm going to go to circle. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm obeying all the laws. Woo! And we miss the real heart of our Father. The heart of our Father is for the lost. He celebrates when what is lost becomes found. The heart of our Father is for the lost. It beats for the lost. Sometimes we're so busy working in the field, but God's just waiting for you to speak to your dentist, to minister to your barber. He's just waiting for you to tell the lady at the checkout till that Jesus loves her. He's just waiting for you to speak to your boss. We're so busy just trying to tick all the religious boxes that we miss the heart of our Father. The heart of the Father bleeds for the lost. And so the older brother, he comes back from the field and he hears there's this party happening without him. Jesus goes on in verse 26, says he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. Hey, why is there a party without me? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. Hmm. Jesus, by the way, was telling the story to a group of angry religious people. If they had any doubt the story was about them, he just cleared it up. The story is not about the young prodigal son. 
It's about the older brother. In verse 28, it says, His father came out and entreated him, begged him to come back. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I mean, doesn't it sound like such good religion? Doesn't it sound like faithfulness? These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother of yours was dead. But now he's alive. He's lost, but now he's found. What is Jesus showing us with the parable of the prodigal son? He's showing us that the heart of a religious person is selfish. It's about me and my faithfulness and my turn, my acknowledgement, my celebration. Choose you know that we can become selfish older brothers? Where we become so obsessed with our walk with God that we don't care about their walk with God. We can get so concerned about getting our religion right that we don't even care about getting their eternity right. You know what I call that? Older brother syndrome. And I think the longer you're in the faith, the more you have to fight this. Older brother syndrome, God, look at me. I'm working for you. I'm doing it all. God, look at me. When will I get my reward? Look at me, God, I'm your faithful servant. And we're working in the field when he really wants us to be going to find the lost. Older brother syndrome, we're so obsessed about the next revelation and the next seminar and the next course and the next thing that God will speak to me. And look, that's all good. But when your faith is just about you, you, you become an older brother. And then we start, by the way, just being so inward looking. We start to debate with each other what that Greek word really means and what's the correct translation of the Bible. And this isn't how you should do church. And we just, we become so inward looking. But if your love for the Father doesn't give you the heart of the Father, then you're missing the point. And I think this is sometimes where we've just so misunderstood the heart of our dad. We've made the prodigal son about the younger son because it makes us feel good. We've ignored the older brother because it convicts us. And I know if you've been a Christian for a while, you'll probably say, okay, Ryan, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I have to evangelize, I know this, I know this. And yet if I had to take a survey in this room, it's okay, how many of you have actually actively shared your faith in the last seven days? What would the stats be? One in 10? I mean, that would sound good. One in 20? One in 100? Anyone? There's so many Christians who have developed older brother syndrome and, and Jesus is giving us this parable to remind us what pleases the Father, what makes heaven celebrate. He's reminding us that the lost they're worth the effort. And if we believe they're valuable, we will inconvenience our lives to find them. We will bring celebration to heaven. When you carry the heart of the Father, 
Church, you become concerned with those who don't know the Father. Your heart beats for the lost. So does your heart reflect the Father's heart? Because here what I know. I know from the teachings of Jesus that the one is worth the journey. I know we search for things when we believe they're valuable. And I know heaven celebrates every time we do. The angels celebrate. The Father celebrates. You know, just a few weeks ago, we went on mission trip to Iswatini, Swaziland. And actually on our first day there, the Sunday, uh, we went and did some street evangelism. You know what that is? It's when you walk in the streets and you just walk up to random strangers and start a conversation with them and you ask them about their spiritual life and if they would like any prayer and, and you just want to tell them your story. You want to tell them about Jesus. Street evangelism, right? We just go out and just look. Jesus says a harvest It's ready, the work is off you, and I have found that to be true every single time I've done street evangelism. This time was no different. The first guy that I went to was sitting in a parking lot, walked up to him, started some small talk, eventually just threw out a question. Hey, do you believe in God? You know what he said to me? He said, I used to. So what happened, man? Um, my brother died. I lost my job. I was scared for my life. Things here became so bad. I'm struggling financially. I don't know. I don't know if I believe in him anymore. You know that as he was talking to me, I really felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me and say, he's the prodigal son. Church, you know, I came back from that thinking, what if I didn't go? He would still be lost. But instead, we've got to sit down for like half an hour, right? And I've got to share with him how I've tried to process my losses and my trials and my grief in my relationship with God. We sat for about half an hour just chatting about life. Eventually, I'm praying for him. He left saying he wants to go back to church. He's feeling encouraged again. But if we had not gone to look, he would have stayed lost. And I have to look at our city and the people you work with, the people you teach and the people you lead. And I've got to ask how many of them are lost and they're just waiting to be found. They're just waiting for someone to pick up the heart of our father and go and do the work of the Lord, live out the will of the Lord. Does your heart reflect the heart of God? And I know... (laughs) Even now, as you think about trying to do it, I know the devil's probably already whispering in your ears and making you believe the lie that this is hard. Church, this is not hard. It is not hard. It's easy. We've already seen in this series some examples of how easy evangelism is. I'm going to show you some more. I'm going to remind you of what we've touched on. Look at this interaction with Andrew and Peter in John 1.40. It says, One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Listen what happened. He first found his brother Simon, and he just said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Man, that's all it took so, for some of you. That's all it's going to take. Just to go to someone and say, hey, I found Jesus. And I want to tell you why I'm excited about that. Hey, I found the Messiah. And this is how he's changed my life. I just found Jesus. That's some, some of you, that's all you have to do. Just tell someone that you found the Messiah. 
You found the Savior. You found the one we need. I love this interaction with John the Baptist. We see John with some disciples, and it's really reminiscent of some of you because some of you sitting here watching, you are in positions of influence. You have people following you, right? You have people working under you. You have people that you're teaching. You have people that you're influencing. We see John the Baptist, he's a teacher, and he's got some of his own disciples. And look what happens in John 1.35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. You can imagine. John's here. His two disciples are with him. It says, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. I love this. The two disciples heard him say this. They left John and they followed Jesus. Guys, this is a good use of your influence. Right for, for us to say as leaders to the people we're leading, look, I know who Jesus is. Behold, he's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the Lord of all. I want to tell you, I'm going to use my influence. I'm going to leverage my relationship to tell you that Jesus is Lord. We see the woman at the well sharing her story with the village in John 4, 28. It says, in leaving a water jar, the woman went back to the town and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? What happened? They came out of the town and they made their way towards Jesus. It's easy. All she did was tell her story. You have a story, right? God's done something for you before. Just tell someone. Tell someone, reach those who are lost. Don't become an older brother in the kingdom, please. We need to carry the heart of our father. Listen, someone did it for you. Well, you go do it for someone else. Someone was willing to put their relationship at risk, their reputation at risk. Someone was willing to spend the time explaining things or inviting you or calling you in. Someone did it for you. Will you go do it for someone else? This is a heart of our father. To reach the lost. So who do you need to have a spiritual conversation with? Who do you need to speak to? Who is your one? You know, in the book of James, we, we read that our faith, it's dead without deeds. And boy, do we love that verse at New Life Church. It's one of the reasons we work hard to try and make scripture very practical. Because we want you to live it out when you leave those doors. And today is going to be no different. In fact, here's what we're inviting you to do today. We're inviting you right now to go do some street evangelism. We're going to make a minor hall available. There's a team waiting for you guys. And I believe for some of you, this is your next step. And you know it. We've got permission from the center next door. We're allowed to go walk the streets in the parking lot and walk up to people and pray for them. And ask them if they need Jesus. And we're going to go do it today. We're not going to spend your whole Sunday. Just half an hour of your time. But for some of you, you know that's your next step. For some of you, as I've been ministering, God has been putting the names of people in your office or your family or your school or your lecture hall or your, your team. You know there's people, your boss, you know there's people that you haven't yet braced the subject with and the Holy Spirit saying that's your next step. You need, to, you need to have a spiritual conversation. They are worth the effort. It's worth putting your reputation at risk. It's worth it. This is a heart of our Father. Let's not be so busy and busy and busy. Let's not be so busy doing the work of the Lord that we miss the heart of our Lord. The heart of God bleeds and beats for the lost. So who's your one? Who's your one? Can I pray for you? Can you close your eyes?
God, I thank you for your church. God, you know each and every one here by name, and I know you love them dearly. I thank you for everyone in this room who's found, who's already a child, who's part of your kingdom. Thank you, God. Father, we do not want to become older brothers in this family. We don't want to become selfish Christians. We don't want to be so concerned about doing religion right, God, that we just miss you. We don't want to be so busy working for you that we miss your will, Lord. God, thank you for these parables and these stories. They make things so clear for us, God. I want to invite everyone in this room, everyone watching right now, everyone listening. If you want to pick up the heart of your father and go seek that which is lost, I just want you to pray a prayer. Just say, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me, Lord. Send me, Father. I'm yours. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you start to just put names and faces in front of people. Those you want them to reach. The lost that is ready, the harvest that is ready, Father God. God, I want to pray an anointing. I want to pray for power over this team that's going to go out and do street evangelism now, God. I want to pray, Father, that there wouldn't be a single person that you're wanting to be on that team that ignores that prompting. God, I pray that they would be anointed and powerful, that you would put words in their mouth because Holy Spirit, that's what you said you will do. If we are ready and make ourselves available, you'll put the words in our mouths. So we're going to be ready for you. Here we are, God, send us. Send us, Lord. We want, to, we, want to, we want to copy your heart. We want to mirror your heart. We want your heart to become ours, Lord. We, we're ready, Lord. With every eye closed. There's no ways I can preach a message like this without asking this question. There's some of you in this room, you've realized you're still lost. You're still separate from the Father. You're not yet in a relationship with Him. You're not yet part of the family. You're not yet a Christian, but you believe today's a day that you want to be introduced to Jesus. Today's a day you want to come back home. You want to embrace the Father. You want to join His family. And if that is you, I want to pray for you. And just so I know who I'm praying for, I just want you to put your hand up and then down. If that's you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man, sons and daughters coming home today. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Man, heaven is about to throw some kind of party today. Those of you who put your hand up and down, I, I want to pray with you. And family, church family, just so they don't feel put on the spot, I want us to all pray this together in support of those doing this for the first time. So let's all pray this prayer together. Dear God, thank you for finding me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God. That you lived and died and rose again. And so today, I declare you a Lord of my life. I give my life to you. I'm coming back home. I'm stepping into the family. And I'm so sorry for everything I've done. Please forgive me, God. By faith, I receive your forgiveness and grace. 
thank you for making me clean and giving me a new life. And I look forward to doing this life with you from today and into eternity. I pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we join with heaven just celebrating? Yes, yeah, so good. Woo! So good to see that, guys. Oh, man, you've made this pastor's heart just so uh, full with excitement with what God's done today. And if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, there were many of you. Uh, we're going to have ushers standing at the door. On your way out, just grab one of these, please. It's just a pack that tells you what happens next. You haven't reached the destination. You've just begun the journey. There's a whole life that Jesus wants to do with you now. And so uh, on the back of this pamphlet, we've got some ideas of some next steps, how to build this relationship with God. In the, in the middle here, we've told you kind of what you've done and what you've prayed. And so if you do take one of these packs, please can you fill in your details here, tear it off and leave it for us at the invitation because we want to see if we can help you or resource you in any way. Even those of you guys online, we haven't forgotten about you. So on our website at nlchurch.coza, we have a button that says salvation. Please click that button and everything here is under that same page. We would love to hear from you guys. Well, I'm excited to see all the sons and daughters in the house pick up the heart of the Father and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Amen.